This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello everyone, the Hockey News Podcast is back. We're brought to you by our sponsor, Christian Hockey. It's Matt Larkin here, it's Ryan Kennedy. Ken Campbell, we thought he was going to be here, Ryan, but uh, he's gone AWOL. He's in, a, he's in a city somewhere in the U.S. Yes. And uh, if you see Ken Campbell, just call the local authorities and we apologize, but he's out there somewhere. Rumor has it it's Detroit. Yes, he's on assignment. Yeah, he's on assignment. Yeah. So there's no Ken today, but you got me and Ryan, and it's funny. Going into today, I was thinking, oh, trade deadline has passed. We're not too close to the playoffs yet. What are we going to talk about? Well, there is a lot to talk about. There are so many things to talk about. Uh, let's start with the GM meetings. And the number one item on the agenda was the e-bug. It's the, the new acronym that everyone loves to say. Let's just get it out a few times. E-bug. Hashtag e-bug. 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 Emergency backup goalie. Uh, and the league's general managers were voting or discussing whether there needs to be any amendments made to the rules to standardize the process so that the typical emergency backup goalie has better qualifications, a higher standard, so you don't get another David Ayer situation. Uh, in the end, they decided to vote down the idea of any change, any tightening of the language. It's going to stay pretty loose. It's going to be whoever's available in the building. Uh, the show goes on, so theoretically we could get another, another David Ayer situation. Do you think that's the right call? Yeah, I'm fine with it. I mean, here's the thing. The last two e-bugs we've had won their games. You had David Ayers with Carolina, and you had Scott Foster with Chicago. So I don't really think it's much of a problem. Um, it, it just Look, it was a fun story for a week, and good for David Ayers for making the most of it. But, you know, I think about... Uh, one of our peers, Mike Trakos, wrote about how this all feels like a big smokescreen uh, when the actual big issue right now is the Department of Player Safety and the fact that no one seems to know what warrants a suspension and what warrants a fine and what warrants nothing at all. So I, for me, it's like, yeah, this happens maybe once a year, not even that frequently. It's a big story. It, it's pretty rare when two goaltenders get hurt in the same game. So I, I don't think the GMs needed to spend much time on it. Sounds like they didn't. So good for them for keeping things tight in uh, Boca Raton. I, I agree. Uh, that sounds like a weird like detective novel, keeping, keeping things tight, tight in Boca, Boca Raton. Raton by the Paul, yeah, the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Uh, I think you're right about the smoke screen, but it's weird. You know, I, I don't know if I'm starting to change. And I, Since I turned 36, I was joking with my wife. I've started backing into all parking spots now. And I'm starting to become slightly more allergic to fun. I've already said I'm not mm. a fan of the lacrosse goal. And even though, listen, I love the David Ayer story. I was giddy over it. It was so much fun. But I do wonder... You know, I think what a lot of people don't realize, and people like to say, oh, it's only because it affected the Leafs. No, no, it was Carolina. Their situation was yeah. one in jeopardy. They got extremely lucky that they won the game. If you were to play out 100 e-bug scenarios, I think most of them would end in disaster. David Ayers let in the first two shots he faced. So what I do wonder is if, you know, another David Ayers comes up, whether it's next year or the year after, the team gets shelled, loses that game, and Carolina is in a fight for a playoff spot. What if they lost that game and they end up missing the playoffs by a point? Mm. That, so I... I Luckily, because he was a hero, he won the game. We're not going to find ourselves in that situation. But I do wonder if that happens down the road, are people going to want to revisit and be reactionary in a different way, mm. um, even though it's so much fun. I, I do think, you know, when you're thinking about how serious a pro sport is, you don't want something to be decided by a guy off the street. 
even though as the fans, it's a, it's a ton of fun. So mm. I actually more personally open to the idea of amending the rules, even though it was just it was a blast. Not to get off on a tangent, but why is backing into a parking spot better? Uh, just because it's more convenient for later when it's time to 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 leave your parking spot. Even when you're like getting groceries. Uh, no, I'm talking about more like in a parking garage. So it's okay. more like I've I've started to become more of a quote unquote dad when I'm like oh no I got to back in I got the time now I'm uh, gonna be happy future me is gonna be thanking current me later. See I I, th- I think the opposite it's easier to back out and because there's sort of like other drivers know it's like give me I'm backing out here just give me a second you want my spot anyways you will wait I'd rather have the convenience of just getting in and out of my car. Okay, fair enough. True story. And you are older than me, so there you go. True, I'm more dad. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, another huge chunk of news today. So the IIHF has canceled six tournaments. There's the under-18, uh, the, the Division Two worlds, I the believe. The lower levels, the lower, yeah. And a whole bunch of the Division Two, Division Three lower-level tournaments. Division Four. Division IV. Steven was uh, looking forward to that. take place all over the world uh, because of the, the scare of the coronavirus. The Swiss League, the NLA, has also postponed its playoffs until March 15th. So that's a massive story. And and to me, what I'm wondering, you know, it, it's, even, it's tough to comment too much on it now because we're so early in this new cycle of how the coronavirus is going to affect every sport. Um, But I guess the main question I have in in my mind is, are we just getting started here? And are we going to see a trend of more and more tournaments and leagues, especially overseas, canceling things, postponing things? What do you think is going to happen? Well, I think it's a very real consideration because you are talking about, especially at the NHL level, putting about... 17, 18,000 people in the same building using the same doors, the same bathrooms all at one time. You don't know what vacations anybody has been on in the past you know, week or two. So it's, it's going to have to be consideration. And I think it all depends on how we see the, the spread of the virus in the United States in particular, just because the population density is so much greater than in Canada. Um, you know, in, in in Ontario here, we've seen a couple of cases, but they seem to be pretty isolated and, and it hasn't really spread. Um, but I, I mean, this is a real organizational challenge for hockey and, and it goes down to the junior levels. Um, it's something that, you know, I mean, we may end up seeing playoff games in empty arenas just for the sake of of public safety and i think that's probably the quote-unquote worst case scenario in terms of what the the nhl or other leagues might have to prepare for Mm -hmm. um i think the games can still go on i mean the hockey players themselves are you know constantly looked after by medical staff and you know and there's there's so much going on behind the scenes when it comes to their health and that, they travel in private private jets yeah like they're tr- especially at the nhl level it's charter jets i mean even in junior it's you're on the bus it's just you and your teammates um so i think that's that's pretty well contained but in terms of the fan experience i think that's where you might see uh the most change yeah, I think that's fair, and 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 I'm I'm a bit worried about the Swiss League because you know you, they're trying to do the right thing and be responsible by postponing till March fifteenth. But if you look at projections of the virus and how the virus is going to spread and how it's going to compound, March fifteenth, I I think according to the more pessimistic projections, it's going to be worse than not better. And the the lower end, the the last half empty projections have the virus getting to its worst, strongest point by I think July, like by summertime. So I don't know if this postponement is going to do much. I wouldn't be surprised if a you either have to cancel the playoffs altogether or 
consider moving them to a different continent, doing, doing something drastic, because I don't think just waiting a month is, is going to solve much. On the NHL level, I don't think we're going to see a major impact. I don't think we're going to see empty buildings yet. Uh, but what we already know, the NHL has already sort of indicated this, that the China plans are going to be affected, that could mm-hmm. be, you know, future China games. Even Beijing, it I think it's going to affect the ability to strike a deal, to send players to the, Olymp- to the Olympics. Mm. Who wants to be bargaining to send players to China right now, even though it's a couple years away? Yeah. If this virus is as bad as it seems to be getting, we have no idea what the situation is going to be like by 2022. So I don't think that's going to be something that's discussed or bargained anytime soon. The other thing, too, it's there, there are little details, like so many players in the league are from European countries, and they go home during the offseason. And depending on where the virus spreads, are Finnish players, Swedish players, German players, are they going to want to go home the way they normally do, or are they going to try and stay where the virus has spread less in North America? That's a possibility, too. So I think you get in the NHL level, we're just going to be getting ripple effects. Uh, but in terms of pro leagues on that continent, I, I think we're just seeing the beginning of what's going to happen. Mm. Uh, now, to, to make things a little lighter, you know, it's, it's a depressing thing to talk about, of course, the coronavirus. Uh, let's talk about awards. Let's talk about the MVP race, which I think is going to be very interesting this year. Mm. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl, most people are saying, has the inside track. He's over the 100-point mark. He was fantastic when McDavid was hurt, but there are so many good candidates having monster seasons this year. For you... Does Dreisaitl have the inside track? Has he done enough to pull away from McDavid, or is there still a risk a risk of canceling each other out in the vote? If I'm voting today, I'm I'm voting for Leon Dreisaitl. Um, does he have the inside track? I think that's an intriguing question because I I, I can see voters having a philosophy of you know can you have two guys on a team. Uh, that are both so valuable that you vote for one. So, you know, Leon Dreisaitl is certainly amazing, but so is Connor McDavid. So is one, you know, the MVP or do they feed off each other? I I know that's going to be a debate that some voters have with themselves and with each other because, you know, we're all peers, you know, all the writers um, that, that vote on these awards. I think there will be other people that say Nathan McKinnon, should be the front runner because he is so far ahead of any of his teammates and the abs have had injuries to guys like Rantanen where McKinnon has had to carry more of a load although Colorado is a very good team uh David Pasternak based on what he's been able to do for the Bruins although again you know the Bruins are a very good team you think about what Tuka Rask has done in net uh you know Brad Marchand's not that far behind Pasternak in points the other interesting sort of dark horse candidate right now would be Artemi Panarin with the Rangers and I put an asterisk there because if they don't make the playoffs then He's not even on my ballot. Um, that's just that's just how it is. If you don't make the playoffs, then your play had no value in the grand scheme of things. That's my personal philosophy. I know people disagree. This it, I call it the McDavid argument. And ironically, in the year that McDavid's team's making the playoffs, it just so happened that yeah, he's like, oh come on, yeah, he has a teammate. Yeah, um, he has a teammate that's putting up even more points. And as you mentioned, you know, dry saddle picked the Oilers up when McDavid was out so you could see that this was not just a McDavid creation so it's definitely a a very interesting race I think I'm with you on the playoff debate as well and the reason being you know it's okay there is an award for best player this is not the award for best player the 
uh, Ted Lindsay Award goes to the most outstanding player, not most valuable. So you don't have to feel like, you know, if pe- if voters are basing it based on in the playoffs, outside the playoffs, that somebody's going to get robbed of being honored for being the best player if he really is mm. because that award exists. It's interesting to me, uh, you know, I think Dreisaitl's odds went way up with that short McDavid absence. Uh, the Oilers went 3-2-1, and one, but Dreisaitl had 12 points in six games. Mm. He averaged 25 minutes, 25.01 per game. Jesus. Talk about taking the team on your shoulders. Uh, so I think that really did up his odds, and I, I think McKinnon has a strong case. Uh, Pasternak's in a tough spot. He's been fantastic, but when you, you have Marshawn and Bergeron on your line, it's really hard to decide who's affecting whom. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, I think there's a chance, if the Rangers can find their way into the playoffs, that Panarin can pull a Taylor Hall in 2017-18. Mm. Because uh, the NHL leader in points per 60 minutes at 5-on-5 and assists for 60, for per 60 minutes at 5-on-5 is Artemi Panarin. Mm. His most common line mates this year at 5-on-5 are Ryan Strom and Jesper Fast. Mm-hmm. Dreisaitl's most common line mates at 5-on-5 are Connor McDavid and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. So if you're trying to split hairs, and I think it's going to be an extremely close debate, so you're going to have to look for little details like this to wow. make your to break your ties. Uh I think there is a compelling case for Panarin right now. I'm not saying I would vote him right this second, but I think he's really in the discussion. I think Dreisaitl still has the slight edge, but it's I, I have a headache already just thinking about it. It's a, it's a tough debate. Uh, switching over to... Oh, Steven, Steven's he's waving his hands. He wants to say something. He just plugged in his mic. He threw a flag. Uh, so a good comment here from uh, Jeremy Buchert. Uh, he says, two goalies get hurt. Fans, who's going to play net now? PA announcer. It's John Cena. <laughs> okay, John Cena's too. He's too busy uh, being in Fast and the Furious. Night. Yeah, what's that about? <laughs> okay, Jeremy Bucher. So, he's he's Dom Toretto's brother, apparently. Uh, down in Pennsylvania, things are getting crazy. I just love it because the Flyers surging up the standings and the Penguins tumbling. Six-game winning and losing streak to offset each other has positioned them. They've met in the middle and are now set up to play each other. In the Ooh. first round of the playoffs, which is like, <laughs> yes. They're going to have this series in the Injected middle of a into my veins. Yes. Urgh. I love it. Uh, but let's talk about both streaks. And, you know, obviously when a, a streak gets this big, you start to wonder, is it a fluke? Is it legitimate? But do you believe, are the Flyers this good? Are the Penguins this bad? Let's start with the Flyers. Give me your thoughts. Okay. So I, I don't know if the Flyers are this good, but I think they are pretty good. Um... You look at their six-game win streak, none of their opponents were playoff locks. You had Columbus twice, and you know the Jackets obviously suffering from injuries, as they have been most of the season. Mm-hmm. Winnipeg, the Rangers for two, and San Jose. So the competition's been just kind of mediocre. Having said that, there are some very good signs for the Flyers, first of which being Carter Hart has five wins in those six uh, games, um, so that's great news because he's had an up and down season and especially earlier on he struggled and the, the Flyers really needed uh, to support him more and, and, and to get some other performances out of goaltenders. Uh, also, Claude Giroux is finally catching fire. 11 points in his past 10 games. This is exactly what Philly needed because the offense just wasn't coming from their captain. And luckily you had Travis Konechny taking things to another level. You had Sean Couturier continuing his awesome play of the past few years. So I think the Flyers are trending in the right direction and they're getting a lot of positives right now. Um, as for the Penguins, 
I'm a little worried, uh, but not too much so. Matt Murray's cold right now in net. Tristan Jari uh, is not doing too bad, but I'm wondering if teams have started to figure him out. I think the Sabres hung five on him the other day. Um, so if you're Pittsburgh heading into the playoffs, you have a goaltending conundrum right now. Having said that, you still have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, and now you have Jason Zucker and uh, a whole host of good players. So I don't think the Penguins are six losses in a row bad. Um, but uh, there is there is some weakness that needs to be shored up before a potential all Wawa Isle series against the Flyers. That's fair. Uh, and I, I see when I look at the two streaks, I, I think I believe in the Flyers streak more than the Penguins. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's a bias there because I, I was sort of in the Flyers camp from the start of the season. I think when we were projecting our standings, I was the only guy that had the Flyers second in my, in my projections. I liked what they'd done, what they'd added. And I think bringing in Alain Vigneault and, of course, bringing in also Matt Niskan and Justin Braun has had the exact effect that the team was hoping for. Flyers have been a lockdown defensive team. They already had lockdown defensive forwards, but I think everything is settled down on that defense core, and I think the young guys, maybe with less pressure on them, you're seeing Ivan Provorov take a big step forward, mm. and you've got Philippe Myers, Travis Sanheim, and the Flyers, they remind me a lot of someone. They have a young goalie who's emerging. They have a big, strong defense that can also move the puck. Mm-hmm. They have good defensively responsible forwards. They I have a lot of, lot of. They have a team that has a lot of uh, varieties of, of players, so they can play almost any style. They were founded in 1967. Yeah, exactly. They're kind of reminding me of last year's Blues roster. Uh-huh. Uh, and I. I think especially because of the the breakthrough on the defense core, which they've been waiting for for several years, it was always great on paper. It was going to be great, and it's finally getting there. Carter Hart, 7-1, and 923 save percentage since the All-Star break. And again, when a guy with the pedigree that, that he has starts doing this, it's not like, oh, who is this guy? It's like, yeah, it's Carter Hart. This is what he was always supposed to do. Uh, and I think what's interesting about Claude Giroux as well, we know he's past his prime, but with the emergence of Travis Konechny is now arguably the team's number one not, when I say playmaker, I don't mean playmaker as in passer, but, you know, game breaker. Right. Creator. It, creator. It's taking pressure off Giroud to be the guy, and maybe that's why he's starting to emerge. Uh, so I, I think this is a team that could make noise in the playoffs. I, I just like the way they're built. The Penguins, uh, they've been ravaged by injuries so badly. And I think, you know, people talk a lot about Jake Gensel, but you look at guys like Zach Aston reese and even John Marino. I think defensively the Penguins have been suffering a lot, and I think they were playing over their head. It was only a matter of time before they had to regress, mm. given the injuries they've had. Uh, they've also been a little bit unlucky. So since February 1st, they have the third lowest PDO in the league. So I do think that's going to correct itself a little bit. Um, but I think what's happening, the streak, I think the Penguins, when they were surging, they're not that good. Mm. They're playing over their heads, given the injuries. I think they're kind of getting corrected a little bit right now, maybe overcorrected. Uh, but I think come playoff time, they're still going to be a dangerous team. You know, I, I I still think what they've shown most of this season, I like their odds of, of making a, a run better than last year when they got swept. Uh, although, if they run into Philly, that's a tough series to handicap right now. No really love tough. lost there. Yeah, so if they if they go head-to-head right now, I think i got to lean toward Philly. Mm. Uh, but again, I, I put more stock into the hot streak than the slump at this, yeah. at this time. I agree. Yeah. Uh, a lot of major injuries are going around the last couple of weeks, some catastrophic ones. Uh, we're going to get to Jacob Markstrom a little bit later, but so we won't count him for this category. But a few other ones have happened in the last several days. Uh, Steven Stamkos, core muscle surgery, I believe is what his injury was. Chris Kreider with the fractured ankle. Uh, Igor Shesterkin, goaltender, fractured rib in a car accident. Mark Stone, lower body injury, kind of a murky timeline. Jake Muzzin, 
with the fractured foot. It's funny. Now I'm, I'm like, I hope I remember all these injuries exactly as they were reported. I hope I'm not naming the wrong body parts, but I am naming the correct injured guys. So there you go. It's it's good enough for the Half sake the of this battle. discussion. Uh, so so my question to you is, Ryan, which of those injuries do you think is the most catastrophic? Well, I, I think we both agree on this. It's it's the Rangers injuries. Yes, so I should say catastrophic relative to affecting a team's fate for the season. Exactly. Because, yeah. you know, when, when you look at Tampa Bay, they can survive without Stamkos. When you look at Vegas, they can survive without Mark Stone. Um, so far, the Leafs are surviving without Muzzin. And the thing with Toronto is they basically only have to be slightly better than Florida. And Florida's in the dumpster right now, so... Um, that's why I look at the Rangers and I see a team that kept Kreider instead of trading him. And then he gets hurt almost right away, which is just horrible luck. And obviously with Shesterkin, I mean, a car accident, like you can't predict. It's not even an on-ice injury. Again, it's just horrible luck. But, I mean, Shesterkin is the man in net for New York right now. Uh, You know, Henrik Lundqvist got torched by the Flyers the other night. Georgiev's fallen back to earth. I mean, Georgiev's a, a, he's a good backup. That's that's his lot in life. Um, but unfortunately for New York, they are now left without a real starter um, for this year. I mean, obviously, Henrik Lundqvist is going to be remembered as one of the greatest Rangers ever. He's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. But right now, he's not a starting goaltender in the NHL. And New York cannot afford to be giving up points. So between Kreider and Shesterkin, it's it's just the timing is horrible for a team that was playing well and was building something nice. I mean, I don't I don't think a lot of people saw New York at this point this year. I think we all liked what they were building and thought next season that's going to be a tough outfit. This season's more about learning and Having guys like Capocacco and Adam Fox learn the ropes, um, and and Shesterkin for that matter, um, but they've overachieved, and unfortunately, um, you know, fate is throwing up a big barrier at the worst time. Yeah, I think you're right, and it's interesting. I, I was talking to a, a scout last week for a different story. I think it's a story on a prospect Kirill Kaprizov, but there are some some comparisons uh, in his game to Artemi Panarin. And the scout and I started talking about Panarin, and then we started talking about Chris Kreider. So we were going all over different topics. But one thing he was saying was, who's the hardest forward to play against on the Rangers? I said, Chris Kreider. And he said, and in terms of, you know, physically, in terms of for the, right. the defenseman having to battle a guy. And he, and he said, and Zibanejad as well. And he said, when the opposing teams are having to face their line, it really, it frees up Artemi Panarin to not always have to face the, the hardest checkers. So I think not only does it hurt to just lose Kreider, it could have a ripple effect where mm-hmm. Panarin's going to face tougher competition going forward. And Igor Shesterkin in his past 10 games is 9-1, 9.40 percentage. So it, it is a shame. And it, it's hard. A lot of people are saying, oh, this is so hard to see what's happening to Henrik Lundqvist. And it is. But the thing is, you know, he's at the age when most professional athletes retire. It's, it's, yeah. it's not his fault. He's just getting almost too old to play in the NHL. Maybe he is officially too old to play in the NHL and you can't really hold it against him. It's just, it happens. You age, right? That's right. Uh, but I do, I, I agree. The Rangers are going to be affected the most. Uh, you're going to see some other minor effects. I mean, I think that with Stamkos out, maybe that essentially locks up the Atlantic for Boston. Yeah. Although, who knows? Maybe the Leafs are an easier out, so it could be a blessing for Tampa, hard to say. I also wonder if the Jake Muzzin injury, in a weird way, could be a blessing for the Leafs. They've been so mixed up on defense. A guy like Travis Dermott, for example, hasn't found his confidence. 
And then on the weekend, he's put into a shutdown pair, I believe, with Justin Hull. Yeah. And you're going to see a lot of other Leafs defensemen, just because they have no choice, that, that were in smaller roles get pushed into bigger roles down the stretch. And you kind of get to find out what you have. Mm. And I think that could actually help. When, when, you're, when a team is this, this kind of disastrous defensively, I think there's nowhere to go but up. And I think you, you could actually help some of those guys by just giving them different looks and, and more responsibility. Mm. And then you get Muzzin and Riley back in time for the playoffs. You never know. Uh, let's talk about some mailbag questions. We got a whole bunch. So we'll see let's. how many we can get to. The first one is from Jim Anderson, and Jim wants to know: Are the Wild all that? Mm-hmm. Despite trading Jason Zucker and firing Bruce, they are competing competing for a playoff spot. And it's interesting because I did interview Bill Guerin last week, and he did talk about how you know he doesn't believe in blowing the whole thing up. It's part of the reason why he didn't sell off every piece. He thinks that they have enough tiers of you know guys in their prime like Matt Dumba and Kevin Vial has been on fire, yeah. absolutely on fire. They have some older veterans. They have some prospects coming up, especially Kirill Kaprizov, of course. So he believes that they can sort of straddle the line. He's not. He doesn't believe that in blowing it up. And here they are, kind of hanging in there. That said. Uh, you look at the big offensive explosion they had last week. Two of them came against Columbus. You already referenced them, that they're mm-hmm. kind of just in survival mode with all the injuries. Uh, and they also beat on Detroit. It's hard to judge any team through the lens of having pe- – like, I think if I think we might we might beat Detroit like 6-5 in overtime. Uh, and if, during February, they've still lost to Boston, Colorado, St. Louis. So tougher tests. They haven't been up to that challenge. So I'm personally not a believer yet. Mm. I think it's been a fun story. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think it's going to be just the usual wild kind of floating around that bubble. And I, I, I'm not a fan of that strategy, but, and I did ask Garen about that point blank. Like, are you sure this is the right? And I know some GMs feel differently. Um, but I don't know. I think this is going to be just the usual wild floating in that middle. Yeah. Uh, to me, it, it feels like a team that had nothing to lose. And you get a bit of a dead cat bounce from the Boudreaux firing. Um, I know you've mentioned this in the past that statistically – Teams tend to play very well in the games following a coach being fired. Kevin Fiala, obviously a fantastic story. For me, what's crucial is they play Nashville three times before the season ends, and that's the team that they they essentially have to catch if they want to make the playoffs. The final game of the season is Minnesota and Nashville. I don't know if it's going to come down to it, but, I mean, things are so tight in the Western wildcard race that it very well may come down to that. I'm with you. It just feels like they don't have the high end to do it, but they're there. So you can't discount them either. Um, I still think this is a team that won't have enough elite skill to compete for a serious Western run, even with Kaprizov. And it's worth noting Matthew Boldy has been on fire for Boston College. He had a very slow start. He was Minnesota's first-round pick uh, in the summer, but he's on fire now. He's playing great for the Eagles. So that's good news for Minnesota as well in terms of their future. But this feels to me like a team that either makes it in and gets swept in the first round or misses by a couple of points. Um, I I really think that a summer reset is necessary where – you figure out who your permanent head coach is. You figure out how you want to use Kaprizov in his rookie season. And that's when we get a better sense of who the Wild are. Mm-hmm. And and if you're wondering about Kaprizov, uh, any digging around, you, you know, no one, no one can, com- no one can be committal about anything right now. But the digging around I've done suggests that you know you can read between the lines. You can bet on Kaprizov being here. It's time. Yeah, it's time. Uh, next question. 
comes from the VHL, Simulation Hockey League. The Canucks are faltering recently. Do you see them coming up with a playoff spot? Do you think Markstrom is the difference maker that they needed to go on a run? Uh, I've been a believer in the Canucks all year, and they were a team that I predicted could, could sneak into the playoffs uh, this season, but I am worried about them. I, I think Markstrom, you could make a strong case as being their MVP this season. Mm. Uh, he's having the best year of his career. Uh, so without him, I think they're in a bit of trouble, especially if you watch the game on Saturday, for example. With goaltending, you know, I, I'm, I obviously skew to more toward analytics more than the eye test, but when it comes to goalies, sometimes body language can be a big thing, and <laughs> yes. Thatcher Demko did not look like a confident goalie on the weekend, especially yeah. that one goal where he was really deep in his net. He couldn't believe the puck was in, and I know that's the kind of thing the coaches hate to see. Uh, so I'm a bit worried about him down the stretch, even though I think long-term he's got a lot of potential. Steven wants to say something. I, I was by their change room after the game. He was not happy. He was not happy. Okay, Fair there enough. you go. Change, Steven busting out change room. Hot scoop. Weird, weird lingo. Isn't it a dressing room? No? Change room? Steven talking like he's in gym class. Dressing room. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's like the same thing. <laughs> Still. Okay. Uh, and I think, you know, if you look at the injury to Brock Besser, of course, I think that's a big problem as well. And I think the main thing that I'm worried about with Vancouver is that for a while it was, okay, well, they're, they're pretty comfy and cozy in the in the weak Pacific division. They're hanging in that top three. But now they've dropped down into the wild card war where, where Nashville, teams like that are in there. It's much more of a shark tank, I think. Uh, and they're competing with central division teams now hmm. because they're not they're, because Calgary started to play a bit better. So I'm now legitimately concerned about Vancouver's playoff hopes. Hmm. I think they'll make it, and part of which is they have a pretty good schedule uh, coming up. Uh, seven games against either Arizona or the California teams, and obviously the California teams are all struggling this year. Uh, Arizona's, uh, you know, they're uh, just outside the bubble. I, I wouldn't call them a bubble team, but they're on the bubble of the bubble. Um, so if the Canucks can win the games that they should win, then they're in pretty good shape. And then again, by beating Arizona, you kind of distance yourself from one of those teams trying to catch you anyways in the wild card spot. So, and then, you know, going back to the last mailbag question, Minnesota and Nashville playing each other three times, they could split points, which could hurt both teams. Mm -hmm. um, but at this point, without Markstrom, I think they become first-round fodder pretty easily. Yeah, I think so. Uh, next question is just from Scott. <clears throat> just Scott. Scott wants to know, what are the Ducks' plans for the offseason? And it's weird. It's going to sound boring, but I don't think the Ducks' plans are anything too exciting. Yeah. They're in a spot where they're just kind of having to lay low. They've got two first-round picks this year, uh, and they've got a really good prospect in Trevor Zegers who, when you see our upcoming Future Watch issue, he's that's one right. of our biggest risers. That's right. Uh, so that's, an, that's a key piece to build around. But other than that, I, think, I, I don't think this is the summer to be really aggressive in free agency. I think you're just... You're just kind of hoarding picks, and I don't think we're in a, we're at that juncture where it's time to consider mm -hmm. trading Ryan Getzlaff just yet. I do wonder maybe about a Josh Manson trade because he's 28 years old. Uh, maybe he's peaked physically, but there are a lot of teams that could use his skill set and ability to play the right side. So maybe it's a time to cash in that chip and mm -hmm. get some more. You know, do you do it on because it's a really good draft class. Do you consider doing it on draft day? Because there will be a demand for Josh Manson. So mm. if the, And I think by the time this Ducks team turns things around and is good again, it might be still another couple years. So for sure. I think based on that, it wouldn't be the worst idea to cash that chip. Yeah, I, I think Anaheim's in, in a pretty decent position right now in terms of their rebuild. Because keep in mind, their own first rounder could be first overall. I mean, they're at that point yes. where they have, they're going to have pretty good lottery odds. 
And so, I mean, they could get Alexi Lafreniere. And then all of a sudden, your prospect pool looks a lot better. Yeah. Um, having said that, um, yeah, Trevor Zegras uh, coming along very nicely. Is he a one-and-done college player? Or is he a kid that maybe we see him do another year next season help Boston University go on a run. Because, I mean, the Terriers, I've, I've been writing a feature about Trevor Zegers, so I, I spoke to him, I spoke to BU coach Albie O'Connell, and I spoke to Todd Marchant, the Anaheim Ducks director of player development. And, you know, with Zegers, his, uh, his playmaking skill is amazing. We already knew that. He's getting stronger because he's only 6 feet, 169 pounds right hmm. now. Uh, but he's getting stronger. He's working on his defense. He's gone through some nice adversity this year. Um, he is the second highest scoring freshman in the conference behind Alex Newhook, the Colorado Avalanche pick, uh, who's with Boston College. Uh, Zegers is one of Boston University's top scorers. I believe he's third uh, right now. So he's having a fantastic freshman season. But I think what you do is you let him marinate one more season uh, you know, hopefully he can help the Terriers make a run to the national tournament next year. Maybe they win the Beanpot tournament. Um, at the same time, next season is Ryan Getzlaff's final year on his contract. Same with David Backus, who was just acquired um, in the Andre Cache deal. So for me, what you do is you, you basically just kind of stand pat. You let Getzlaff and Backus play out the string. And then you say to yourself, how much do we like Sonny Milano? How much do we like Danton Heinen? Where's Troy Terry right now? I think that's what you do from here until the end of next season. You assess if you're GM Bob Murray. And then you look at what first-rounders you get in this draft. You look at where Trevor Zegers is. And when you get to the 2021-22 season, that's when you make your big kind of rebuild push where it's more of a blank slate where you still have some contracts like Adam Henrique um, but it's good to have those veterans around but maybe you don't have Ryan Getzlaff anymore you certainly don't have David Backus um, right. the, the fact that they got rid of Corey Perry um, last year I, I think speaks to the fact that they're not going to be sentimental to a fault and I think that's the right way to go. Yeah, and I do I do believe uh, Getzlaff has two years left on his deal, so 2021-22 should be this the year last one. I think it's or this year and next year. Is next year the last one? Because whichever, whichever year is Getzlaff's expiring year, I think then you have to revisit the idea of him maybe being a trade chip because maybe he's someone that wants to go somewhere. So he's got, yeah, so so next year is the last season of his deal. So yeah. I don't think you move him in the offseason. He's got a no movement clause. But yeah. if he's if he knows he's getting close to the end of the line, he, he probably has another contract in him. But he, maybe he's going to the Joe Thornton zone mm. where it's going to be a series of one-year deals from that point on. And he's going to bring similar things. Major leadership qualities can still be kind of a shutdown guy, physical. Mm. Uh, so you wonder if the Ducks are, are years away. Maybe it's they consider, you know, and, and maybe they mutually agree with Getzlaff where he might be wanting to go to a contender. Just like Joe Thornton, he said after the deadline passed, he was disappointed. He wanted to do that this year. So yeah. I could see that happening down the road. Getzlaff does have a ring, though. He does. So, yes. that, so that, that is a crucial difference, for sure. Yeah. Uh, the next question, okay, I think this is from our intern who's just through the door, Kyle Hooper. <laughs> Unless it's a coincidence. So our intern, Kyle, he, he could have just walked up to our desks and asked us this, but he's stealing airtime. He submitted a question, and I put it into our list of questions, and I didn't really notice till later. I was like, wait, it's Kyle Hooper. I almost want to call him into the room right now just to kind of stare at us, and we can speak the answer to him. 
but I, I guess I won't do it. I guess he's we'll just, busy. He's, he's, yeah, he's busy. Okay, he's working on something, right? The now. editors will yell at you. So intern Kyle <laughs> wants to know, uh, let's say the Leafs don't make the playoffs. What, what's the best course of action for them during the offseason? Uh, well, like you said, Ryan, I, they're, because of Florida torpedoing just as they've gotten hot, they're, I think their odds are up to 95%. You know, they could still implode, but uh, I think they're, I don't, I think they're one year away from nuking the big four uh, because I don't, you know, I don't think they're not going to trade Matthews or Marner or Tavares. And some people will say, what about Nylander? But Nylander is now the best value financially by totally. far of that group. Had a yeah. great year. I I think there's an outside possibility that he would be the sacrificial lamb, but I think it's more likely you look at, is it a Kasperi Kapanen? Is it Andreas Janssen if he's mm. healthy enough? Is it Frederick Anderson if he mm. if he continues to struggle down the stretch? Is it Morgan Riley if the Leafs feel like their future pipeline is stronger on the left side than the right? Do they need to sacrifice Riley to get a stronger right shot and more defensive defenseman? So those would be I would be looking at guys in that tier. Uh, but I do think if they do miss the playoffs, there's going to be some very significant overhaul to the roster. Yeah, I, I think that if they miss it. You trade Frederick Anderson and you try to sign Jacob Markstrom as a free agent, assuming he doesn't re-sign in Vancouver. Uh, or failing that, you try to get Robin Lehner as a free agent out of Vegas. I, I think that's the way you go. And you, I mean, the cap's going to go up. We know that once the American television deal uh, gets signed next. Um, so part of that internal pressure on those big contracts is, is going to uh, disperse a little bit. But I, I think you just – if you miss the playoffs, it's going to be because of Frederick Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you trade him for whatever you can get. And you luckily there are some options up for free agency this summer, so the, the timing would work out for them. Okay. I think we're going to do a couple more. We'll do two more. Okay. This one is from Jean-Marc Ludy. And it's, jo- it's almost – John Mark Foodie. Oh, it's Foodie, yeah. Almost, yeah, almost, almost. almost. Uh, John Mark wants to know, is Mike Gillis an actual smart option for, for Devil's GM? It's funny. We were talking about this uh, before we started the show, and I, I, I was asking Ryan, I said, are the Devils doing Tom Fitzgerald dirty? Because I, I really think Fitzgerald's done a good job since he took over the interim tag, mm. bringing in a lot of picks and prospects. He got, I think, got good returns. for. He even got something for Wayne Simmons, you know, for Sammy Vatanen yeah. and for Blake Coleman. Uh, so I, I personally think, you know, and I know I'm sort of focusing instead of Gillis and focusing on Fitzgerald, but my point is, why are you why are you kind of looking at a, a GM that's not that accomplished when you could just be turning your attention to a guy who's already in the job and seems to be doing some good things right now? Mm. I would say that the Devils are doing their due diligence. And, you know, you look at the leadership group, at the corporate level in New Jersey right now, and it is very much about, you know, covering their bases, making sure that all options are considered. Um, you know, they've done a lot of things behind the scenes to bolster that organization, and I think they've done a very good job of that. And I think that translates, you know, that that has more to do with the business side, ticket sales, things like that. But I think that culture tr- translates to the on-ice side as well. And you say, okay, well... We like Tom Fitzgerald. He's done a good job, but let's not just give it to him. Let's let's see what's out there. Let's find out what some different ideas are. How would Mike Gillis attack this job? Um, and maybe it's maybe it's a bit of a fishing expedition. I, I think we've seen this a lot, you know, particularly in the corporate world, where you want to see what ideas could come, and you know, you can kind of steal from here and borrow from there and things like that. So for me, Tom Fitzgerald should be the guy. Um, permanently 
but I have no problem them interviewing somebody like Mike Gillis, who obviously has experience and has put together a team. And, you know, his his tenure in Vancouver, I don't think it was as bad as people thought when he was fired. Um, I think history kind of bore that out. Yes. But, um, I mean, Tom Fitzgerald, is, he's done such a good job, and he knows the organization. For me, he's still the top guy. Okay. Uh, last question. Okay, this one is this is a tough one to answer on the spot, so I'm going to talk as long as I can to stall and give you time to think of your answer. All right. Okay? Uh, so this question is from Tyler Corona. Poor Tyler. Right mm. now, he's probably having a tough time with resumes. It's actually Tyler COVID. Yeah, you got to change that last name, my friend. I'm sorry. Thirty. I, I feel like his friendships have gone down 38%, or is that that's the beer right now. <laughs> uh, so Tyler asks... The Bobby Ryan hat trick was a great story. Agreed. Mm. What's your favorite feel-good story in NHL history? So, because we're live, it's a tough one to think of off the top of our head, but I do have a couple good ones. I think Steven's going to have one too. Mm. So, my number one is because of the the sheer improbability and the degree of success, I think the single greatest season, even though I'm a Gretzky truther, I believe Gretzky is the greatest hockey player of all time, but I think the greatest season in NHL history by any player is Mario Lemieux 1992-93. He gets cancer treatment for lymphoma in this during the same season. And our, our TV just went off. See, now you know we're live. But he gets treatment in season. He misses, I believe, it was an, it was an 84-game season. I believe he plays 60 games of that season. And he scores at a pace that is almost right on 92 goals, 215 points, right on right on pace with the, the best goal and point totals in NHL history <clears throat> despite getting treated for cancer that season. Mm. I think that's absolutely staggering. So that's probably my pick. On a, on a lighter side, of course, David Ayers is amazing, but the John, John Scott All-Star experience was yeah. one of the coolest things that I've ever seen or been a part of mm. live. And it was just like, it was like watching a, feel-good wrestling match come to life. Yeah. Couldn't have been scripted better. It was so fascinating. Uh, so those would be two. I'm sure there are others. So if people want to comment uh, and, and suggest some more, I'm, I'm, I know there are a ton of good ones out there. Mm. Thank you for stalling. Um, I'm going to go with the Marty San Luis scoring for his mom. Oh. Yes. In in the, the, is the 2014 Cup Final? Uh, I believe so. Okay. Uh, that was a very good feel-good story. Okay, and yeah. Steven, has, did you have one too? Were you trying to point one out? Uh, Sakakoivo's return. Yeah, that was like my that. other one. I had that uh. in my back pocket. See, so yeah, because that was cool because he actually played some of his best hockey in the years afterwards. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Lemieux having his return. He played pretty good afterwards. But Koivu to, to have that return and how much that meant to the Montreal fan base was pretty cool. Okay, that's good. And, and I welcome some more comments just on Facebook or Twitter because I'm sure we're forgetting a bunch of really cool ones. So and you could say, you know, the Miracle on Ice is ridiculous. Ridiculously Should amazing. David Ayers right now is actually a pretty cool story. Yeah, I said that, Stephen. No, Jeez, yes, Steve, he's not even listening. Come on, Stephen. Get in the game. I was searching for stuff. Okay, okay. Yeah. We're going to end with that. Hope you enjoyed it this week, everybody. We will be back. And I believe, Ryan, you have a, a Prospect, Prospect podcast. podcast coming up soon. Coming up Thursday. Excellent. Thank you for listening, and thank you for watching.